Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. He is a PhD in psychology with a focus in cognitive neuropsychology and med tech. His focus is to help people improve in every aspect of their life. As a licensed counselor and coach, he assists clients in overcoming struggles with ADHD, stress, and anxiety. Welcome to the show, Dr. David Hester Jr. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. I, I don't think my my father even gave me like such a great uh, inspirational opening when I entered into the world. So thank you from a fellow fellow uh, initial saver, you know, DH, let's go. <laughs> Excellent there. Wow. <laughs> now, how did you kind of get in this, this role? Um, I know you've done many different things and you've kind of taken your psychology past just the clinical aspect of things and really into a business model that can impact the lives of so many more people than just kind of that one-on-one -on -one interaction. Uh, kind of, yeah, just let the viewers know um, kind of who you are and uh, your journey along this path. Wonderful. Well, I'll get to the billion people because that's kind of the, that's the big apple that we're trying to take a bite out of. But I actually started out um, in special education, you know, in okay. high school. Uh, so uh, where I was located, I split time between Jersey and North Carolina. And uh, during my schooling, it was always a challenge for me to learn. Um, I have, you know, cognitive disabilities, uh, invisible co or invisible disabilities is what I call them sometimes because right. people don't necessarily know it when they see me. And so it, it made uh, life a little challenging. I also had a speech impediment, which made it, made it extremely hard to communicate with, my, uh, with others uh, because there was constant jumbling of my thoughts and you know, mixing that with anxiety, just a lot of layered on challenges uh, of who I was. And so I was like most people interested in how the heck do I fix myself? You know, how do I uh, how do I help myself? And I had a great uh, gang of counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, engineers who were in my corner who were just like, hey, you you seem pretty cool. Let you know, never let anyone stop you from shining your light. So that led me on my my journey, and I started off uh, just looking at psychology in the, during the normal run, which is you know you go to school, you get certified, you you know learn everything you can, and then you see people on a one on one basis. And I, I went through that that practice or that path, and what I found was that you know I wasn't helping enough people or people for me. You know I, I wanted to right. to help others and not just help them, but help them thrive, be better. And I've always been kind of interested in those esoteric teachings about higher levels of well-being or what some people can call equanimity. You know, lay people right. may call it um, enlightenment, which, you know, that's a whole another conversation. And I know academics, when they hear that word, they kind of, uh, but th there are some measurable uh, pieces of equanimity that we can find uh, and, and also we can cultivate. And so that right. took me on so my journey. How did you to get connect. into like this whole research PhD side of things uh, with the challenges you faced? Um, I know with myself, uh, I started out with uh, speech impediments too, was in speech therapy growing up and uh, really struggled. And those social interactions were, were not easy for me growing up. 
Uh, but that translated into difficulties with reading and writing as well. And academia is all about terminology. It's a different language. And a thesis is a huge process in all of that. Uh, what was some of the challenges there and how did you overcome them? Good question. I don't think I've ever talked about this with anyone. So I'm wonderful. It's just you and me. You know, no one else is right. going to hear about this. Um, so, <laughs> um, so what what I what I learned during that time was uh, that you have to make things work for you. And so I learned about accessibility, uh, specifically accessibility of reading uh, documents. I listened, or if I listen to audiobooks, or if I'm you know reading a document, I have it uh, the audio speech back to me uh, at two times speed, and I can process it easier that way. So that right. it came with a little bit of, of guess and check method, a little bit of scientific inquiry on myself and how well I processed information, uh, which in the beginning was difficult. I'll be honest, you know, when it came to, like you said, re reading, for example, was was such a challenge. And not to even mention, once we get into uh, statistics, I would see sixes as nines, nines as sixes, and that, the whole formula is messed up. Uh, so what really helped me was learning to be patient with myself and checking those thoughts. You know, when whenever anyone's in academia, they're fighting those thoughts of, am I good enough? Am I publishing enough? Am I relevant? You know, is this going to push the needle of the science? Or am I a hack? Like that's really the, the biggest, you know, thought is, am I a hack? And I've learned to kind of take those thoughts and, and slow them down. Um, and so this came from support from just great leaders. Uh, one of them was uh, Dr. Jeffrey Martin, uh, a former Harvard uh, graduate who runs the Transformative Technology Lab. And okay. he, 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 he kind of gave me the, 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 the framework in, in how to think like a scientist. And in that framework, he gave me pieces and tools that no one else had ever given me, including the, um, the tools of mindfulness when uh, entering into a academic venture or you know, writing a thesis, for example. And he, he told me, make it about you or make it about something that you're, you enjoy. And this is what most advisors will tell students, you know, you have to enjoy what you're going to do because if you're going to defend against people who are who's going to tear up your work, you better sure better make sure that you really like what you're doing. Right. Uh, so, so slowing down thoughts, you know, and checking thoughts, challenging them. Uh, I, I mentioned to you, uh, you know, before I learned it from Dr. Um, Daniel Amen, the uh, taking your thoughts and kind of thinking of, think of, your thoughts is like a, you know, you're on a highway and if you're driving 75 miles an hour, you know, that's where anxiety comes in. Your, your mind's racing. You're going really fast. You make one mistake, you hit a wall, you know, coitant, as they used to say. Uh, but I, but what, what uh, Dr. Amen says is if you can slow down, you can control, you have more control over your anxiety, which is another part that I dealt with. And so I, you know, copied a line from a song I used to listen to where I would just remind myself, drive slow, homie, you know, wherever I'm doing uh, anything academic, drive slow. And it, it's okay if it takes me two times to read a academic journal and my counterpart or my friend or my colleague may be able to process it in one go. That's okay. Because on the other end, uh, Dr. Martin and all the people who I connected with always pointed out that I had a level of creativity and creative flow right. where I would pick out pieces that other people wouldn't see. And I think that was because 
I chose to, you know, drive slow, homie, <laughs> rather than going the <laughs> typical hundred miles an hour in academia. But man, it's I'm thankful that you brought me down that memory lane. <laughs> it's amazing the path you you've gone down, and that speaks to how intelligence is not just basically one overall theme that people have different smarts in different areas. And yeah, you may have had to compensate in one area or slow it down in that area, but in these other areas, your mind's firing. Like you're bringing in all sorts of different connections and really connecting the dots in a big picture. Uh, how does that speak now to kind of what you're doing in business and, uh, what is kind of that mind process you, you have with uh, trying to reach 1 billion people? Yeah, well, when you think about business, you know, you're thinking about where we spend a lot of our life. We spend much of our life in connection with people, working on businesses, trying to figure out problems. And typically what happens is we lose ourselves. And I and when we lose ourselves, we, we may not be our optimal self. So I took that, I kind of gleaned that optimal self and said, how can I bring that to the masses? So uh, in this wild turn of events that we call the universe, I connected with the founder of Life Guides, Mark Donahue, uh, okay. while doing actually a, a DE&I panel uh, keynote. I was doing a, a keynote at a conference and he was like, hey, you're doing some pretty cool stuff. Uh, I, I see that you're you have this massively transformative purpose got that from peter diamandis you know he's like he's like you want to reach these uh, billion people we want to do that as well how are you going to do it and so he asked me and i was like i, I don't know all i uh, my goal right. at that time was creating neural devices uh and you know creating neural devices that can enhance well-being uh through through tracking which we can get into that a little bit too and what we found through our discussions was that we can reach people through business Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new, higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. Through business, because people spend a lot of their time at work, uh, organizations like large, large organizations, Google, uh, they, they have a member base or an employee base that at times are not thriving. They're right. rather be burned out dealing with, you know, personal lives. So many things come up. And so I chose to uh, for us to focus on business because I knew we could reach the most people before, you know, moving to a grander, you know, open based, con completely consumer model where our brand, which is called Life Guides, uh, it's a peer to peer learning platform where people can learn from someone who's had that lived experience. You talked about that just a moment ago about my lived experience. And it's important that we recognize people's distance traveled. You know, how long or which, what, what path did you take to get to where you are? And it would have been so wonderful if the earlier me, you know, knew or was able to talk to the later me. And sometimes that means me talking to a mentor. Right. who's gone through being a person of color in academia, who's gone through, you know, living in impoverished areas or who's gone through dealing with, you know, cognitive delays or disabilities. That would have been a, a wonderful bit. So that really encouraged me that this is the right place and the right time for a product like this to be in the market 
because it's not counseling. And, you know, as a, as a counselor, I've been a counselor for years. It, I hear it all the time. People, it's hard to get in, you know, hard to get in with someone. And you're very f- familiar with that with your uh, clinical practice when people were trying, you know, waiting in line just to right. <laughs> just to be seen by you. Uh, when sometimes all they really needed was someone to hear them, like really hear them uh, yes. and and just say, you know what, maybe you just need an, an, uh, a well-being action plan. You know, you just need somebody to help you take you through the steps. Uh, what you're feeling may not necessarily be all of a clinical or, or, or you know situation or disease. So that's that's how I, I, I pulled it into business with the strict focus of elevating well-being. You know, right. m- m- most products they're typically, and this is no knock to those products, uh, but they're not helping humanity. You know, they are. All right, I'm going to be a little crass for a moment. We don't need it. We don't need more. We don't need more photo apps. You know, we don't need more more uh, lenses that we can put over people. We need a better understanding of how the human mind is working in relation to the technology that's continuing to emerge and in preparation for the technology that's coming 20 years down the line. Well, if we don't dive into that because you just kicked a hornet's nest. we I do did. Have, they're flying they're <laughs> flying uh, we do have a society where social media is being targeted as this thing that is dragging down a lot of people's lives and causing depression and anxiety and uh, really getting people disengaged from the real world um, so let's go into how technology is damaging and also healing and i'll just pass it back to you and and see where you you kick this this nest so i'll I'll start with damaging um i mentioned you know to you in the green room that i have it i have a teenage girl and uh it's it's evident i mean the literature is clear social media is terrible for teenage girls. And I'd even go as far as to say, as for any human being who has a thumb and likes to scroll, (laughs) it is detrimental. And unfortunately, these products are designed to do that. We are so hackable. Um, I tell people all the time, uh, you can change a person's temperament and how they are open, you know, their agreeableness just by handing them a a warm, you know, cup of coffee or cold glass of water. You can change somebody's complete outlook on a process on that. So when it comes to technology, I've been a bit of a curmudgeon. You know, I'm, I'm not on many socials, uh, but that, that's a personal choice. I don't knock anyone who does it as long as they know their limits and know when their their strings are being pulled. So that's right. the damaging side. The damaging side also, you know, it really disconnects us. We are so siloed lately. The people who I, who I talk to out, you know, in airports or whatever, they, they re- respond with the rhetoric or, you know, Twitter says this or, 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 um, you know, TikTok confirmed my thought that this is actually a thing or this conspiracy theory is, is, is true. So it's definitely damaging. And I'd say even changing us in ways that we don't know um, when it comes to, Diagnosable disorders are going up, attention spans are shrinking, and people are doing less critical thinking. They're letting the algorithm kind of think for them, or right. they're letting uh, they're they're letting others kind of uh, stand in for their thoughts. 
And I think we need to put an emphasis back on critical thinking and not critical to break things down, but critical just to say, is that true? You know, can right. I be argued? Or to and, just look up. I use the yes, example oh of GPS before when we didn't have GPS, like going way back in time now, uh, you actually had to kind of orientate yourself of where you're going, ask directions when you're lost, look around and the world today, you're following this app. And I've been in vehicles where I just look and I'm like, oh, there's the turn <laughs> or there, there's the place we're going. And they're freaking out yeah. because their app's not taking them there. <laughs> like just oh having that ability to look up and then look down would just set us <laughs> in the right direction a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I love how you're kind of tying that in is that, yeah, we have lost the ability to actually think and we're just letting a computer dictate things because we think it's the right right choice and in healthcare that's even worse because we already have research and so many healthcare providers are just technicians that they they don't look at the person in front of them to actually figure out what's going on um so if we pass it over to the machines how is that going to make things better um, there's a lot of psychology apps. Um, I know you're familiar with a lot of these and you're in that world as well. So mm-hmm. what kind of cautions would you have and also be like, this is going to be a good tool if used properly? One Wonderful question. So first, um, I think what's, what goes understated is the ethical parameters of what you're creating and the why. You know, some people, especially with these these new emerging tech, are creating it. Why? Because there's a market for it. So if there's a market, there's money to be made, fortune, yada, yada, capitalism, whatever. Right. But what is the why of of whatever you're you're creating? You know, I've I've worked in conjunction with engineers, you know, curating and even uh, you know, creating technology for the betterment of humankind. Uh and I, I say that in this way because not to get too far flung in the future, but, you know, we, we will have probably within our lifetime transhumans, people who are, you know, equally connected to uh, technology as they are to biology. Uh, we're seeing that with uh, Duralink. I can't remember the name of the organization that has successfully paired uh, biological uh, cell, cells with an actual chip and the cells wow. grow with the chip. It's a, it's a one, the, the organization, I reached out to them because I was like, hey, I want to know what you guys are doing. And it was, Selfish, from my sense, I wanted to know what they're doing because I wanted to see what are their ethics, what is going to be their accessibility, because people who have access to that first will have a head start on what the world's going to be like. Uh, Another tool that I'm, 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 you know, just loving and 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 using a lot is like the Aura Ring. Yeah, you get a lot of this data, and it's like, all right, what do you do with that data? And I think tools like that are great. Uh, when used in conjunction with a professional or with a community, some people, some uh, someone who can who can help you understand what you're reviewing. Because if with you know if I didn't have my level of understanding of sleep stages, when I see that my my art my REM sleep or my REM is is you know doing like an hour, I'm like oh I'm great you know that that, that means right. I'm good. And it's like but what does that really mean? Uh, when when is my midpoint sleep? When am I waking up in the morning? Uh, what is my eating habits? There's so many questions that I wouldn't know how to answer without my, you know, experience. 
So connecting with other people is important. And I'll even add this last part about technology. If your technology is, is not helping someone, you're in the wrong business. You know, if it's not, you know, either helping someone be their best self, uh, you're, you're holding us back. We are facing, I won't say a crisis, but we're facing a, some, some, some serious challenges with emerging technology. And I'm not do, talking the, the doom and gloom AI thing, even though John Connor is currently looking at us judging. If you know John Connor, if you know, you know, it's a, it's a Terminator reference. <laughs> but he's, he's looking at us ju- judgingly because we're pairing with AI, right? But right. that's just the way the way, way it's gone. AI has been around for for a long time. This uh, craze that we're feeling is because we're going to be slowly shifting in how things are done and how processes are, go- are going to be um, completed. But what is should not be taken out of the equation is the human element. You know, if I go to Chat GPT right now and, t- and tell them to write me a, a, a wonderful story about. Uh, data security, it'll provide me some good some good points. But without my oversight and my uh, editing, it's pretty much a hallucination of jargon that this machine, based on its uh, language model, has been able to spit out. Absolutely. Now, we were at the same kind of, uh, sem- uh, well, summit and uh, the Brain Capital Innovation Summit. And uh, kind of let me know if you had the same feeling on on the tech that was presented. Um, a lot of it was kind of taking the intake or the process of evaluation and simplifying that into a tech form that would speed up the system. And I thought that was mm-hmm. great and amazing. And if that can lower the cost and make things more efficient, I am all for it. and And I want it actually in my practice. And then there seemed to be less devices that had some sort of therapeutic process. And in most Mm -hmm. cases, that therapeutic process already exists in either psychology or the healing modalities out there. And then there was maybe a couple that took both maybe the evaluation process and intertwined it with kind of a therapeutic approach. And there's so many healing modalities out there. There's sound, light, touch, uh, talk, exercises, nerve stimulations, adjustments, all the alternative world and psychology and of course, medications, supplements, all of it. And not all of it can be put in a tech form. Uh, So what aspects do you think are still out there where a practitioner is really needed for that human interaction because a machine can't provide it? And if they do, they can mess it up. Like VR can make people dizzy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sickness is is prevalent. There's all sorts of things then that can stimulate the senses in the wrong direction um, or, or be absolutely great to stimulate things in the right direction. Um, Kind of that bigger, broader picture though, what do you see as being something that probably can never be overtaken by the machines and people should really kind of study in that area and have awareness of the tech side or vice versa? So it's a really good question. And I'll go as far as to say, I'm not sure if it will never be taken over by 
you know, machines, AI or whatever tech, but it has the longest time of being useful before it is taken over. And I'm going to challenge and say that that is just communicating with someone on an empathetic basis. And I'm not saying a therapeutic basis. I'm talking about empathy, just strictly being able to to understand someone and then having the compassion as the action. I think that's something that humans are still, we're still awesome at doing is putting compassion into action. Whereas I'm not, I don't see right now devices really doing that you know, really uh, expressing that they can feel empathy without it just being a jumble of words that the statistics say will be a, you know, valuable answer to that person. Uh, so again, that goes back to that manipulation. Are we being manipulated, uh, you know, or is this really of support? So I think empathy and uh, what's his name? Uh, Johnny C. Taylor talks about this in his recent book. About uh, He's a leader at, at, at Sherm, one of the largest HR organizations, about okay. how empathy is... Uh, empathy is really the key, you know, to the future of organizations, you know, internally, like operationalizing it, but it's also going to be key to uh, human flourishing. And when you talk about technology being overtaken, and I don't necessarily want to call out an organization, but I did see one of them, uh, Wobot, for example, you know, this uh, is a tech that uh, can support people when they are, you know, it's kind of a clinical support, but if that's the only support, it can, it's not going to do the same. It's, it's, it's not going to be the same. Right. So whatever, whoever has human connection and whoever creates the most opportunities for uh, a service, I think that's something that w- won't, won't, won't leave is the ability to create empathy as a service connection as a service uh, and also uh, mind elevation. So when I say mind elevation, I'm talking about hitting, you know, there, there is technology right now that can help people to hit the flow state or that pl- you know, a place when they're, where their mind, where they feel like they're uh, awesome and ready to go. Right. Uh, yeah. I, 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 and I, I can talk on, to, on that for, for hours, but I will say that I, I like going beyond flow state and going into life flow. Like how can you build in steps so, and I'll use myself as an example, I know I go on a nine year cycle. And then when I hit a certain cycle, a certain year, I'm really good at whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, I need that to, to understand what are the, you know, what are the biometrics for that? What is my mind state? What is the set, setting? All of that. So I can repurpose it or, or recondition myself. So going back to, to answer your question, pieces like that, like understanding self, mind elevation, uh, compassion, empathy. Those are pieces that are still uniquely human. And this right. last thing, I, I think we're we're far off, but but AI is catching up, and that's creativity. AI has not shown itself to be able to be creative. I mean, no, it's, it's just all not pattern recognition and not connecting new pieces. Um, so you mentioned flow, and you mentioned empathy and self, and I just wanted to add in one more thing because you strike me as being a hugger and that's the physical contact is that I, I don't think we can ever pass that over to machines. And there is so much about the body and the brain that is physical. Um, yeah. What have you kind of seen in that realm as well, especially with flow? Cause when you mention flow, all of a sudden I think of sports and being sports. moving and active. So what is kind of your definition of flow and how to get into it and how much of it is physical then? 
So I, I think of flow as, uh, and, and for anyone who's listening, look up any, any book by Mihai chick, chicks at Mihai can't spell right. it right now. Uh, it's kind of like spelling coach K or coach. Krzyzewski. I'm not sure how to spell it, but you can, you can find it. Yes. But, um, I, I took his, you know, his basic, you know, nine, nine pillars and distilled it into three, you know, concentration is one. Um, but also this comfortability, meaning you're at your comfort limit, uh, but you're just above it. Like, it's like you, you're striving just a little more just outside of your comfort level. And yes, it is physical. Um, you can get into flow easily by, you know, going for a quick walk, doing a run, playing basketball with friends. That's my my best example of flow is when people are in concert with each other. They right. know where each other's going to be. They feel each other. They have proprioception. They understand where they are in relation to other things. And it's a, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece. So I I call flow this uh this life force, you know, that we can tap into where we are completely our optimal self. That doesn't mean you should be in flow at all time. It's there's a certain level of yeah you don't want to be in an all time you don't want to burn yourself out <laughs> right like yeah literally. like you need recovery time too and uh you're big in the mindfulness and meditation route so how do you kind of intertwine those in your daily routine or in cycles or seasons where yeah you want to be out and exerting yourself and kicking ass and then on the other side you can't do that forever it's unsustainable so how do you recover? How does the meditation mindfulness work in and weave in with flow then? So I'll start with, and I like that you separated them. Some, so many, so many times we hear people say mindfulness meditation, like it's, they're not the same thing. You know, right. they, they, they are different. Uh, mindfulness, for example, the way that I look at mindfulness is it's a, it's a growing practice. So what I typically do, I'm not a, you know, hour and a half meditator, although I have done that during my life. Yeah. Uh, but I am a, a short burst meditator, like four to five minutes. Uh, either it's open monitoring. Sometimes I do self inquiry. You know, you talked about the self. And so sometimes I like to deconstruct the self, like ask who is this person or this collection of molecules and cells that identifies itself as Dave, but really is not, you know, it's kind of an illusion that, that, that given rise from the different connections within our brain. So, uh, another thing that I do, you know, when I'm thinking about mindfulness is the traits that happen after you practice mindfulness, those traits of when you're eating and you decide to say, well, let me taste my food a little more, you know, let me actually see instead of just shoveling blah, 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 right. and then going out to the day, let, let me, let me actually experience my food. Those traits are what's important to me in my practices, building on those traits that happen throughout the day. Uh, so that mindfulness part helps. And meditation, I mean, there's so many forms of meditation. My favorite is Vipassana because it's loving kindness. And sometimes I need to hear loving kindness. I have a joke that I tell everybody, which is if anyone talked to, to me the way I talk to myself sometime, I'd punch that person in the face because right. we can talk to ourselves negatively. So that, you know, Vipassana gives you that loving kindness and, and love for yourself. And then at times when I'm maybe dealing with insomnia, I'll like, I'll imagine that other people are dealing with insomnia and I'm like, oh man, you know, if you're out there, I'm meditating with you right now, hopefully you'll get to sleep, you know, and that loving kindness kind of comes back, uh, comes back to you. I think that they, they intertwine, you know, mindfulness and meditation. And, you know, we, we, we mentioned this uh, offline, but I am 
right now looking into my past research and a couple of colleagues' past research into how to build uh, devices, protocols, and services that can help people get into flow uh, and, and you know, stay in it for a you know, short amount of time, but have a recovery period. I'm glad that you mentioned that recovery period built in using meditation and understanding that meditation doesn't have to be this large esoteric you know, um, yeah, even right, though yeah. all that's all that's valid, and I'm not not knocking any in anything about that. But for for most people, that barrier of entry is difficult, especially yeah. when you're talking about asking someone to shut off their inner critic, asking someone to shut off that inner voice. Which typically, spoiler alert, it's someone in your childhood that you probably don't even you know. It might be your mom, might be a cousin who says one thing to you, and that's kind of running in your head. But right. quieting that down is so beneficial to your mental health and it'll be beneficial um, to any any seeds that you pass on or any kids that you have. You know, they'll they'll develop it uh, or, or have a propensity to develop it if you've gone through those changes and the people around you change when you meditate. Because like you said, you, you think I'm a hugger. I am. I hug trees, too. <laughs> and uh, I hug trees not in the the prototypical sense of you know save the trees but i hug trees because like you said when you when you hug something that physical cannot be replicated there are you know ai robots out there i think sophie or sophia was one that came out uh some right. years ago do you remember that one yeah. uh i actually saw i saw her when, when she came out i, I met I, i'm blanking on the, the, the guy's name but i met the premier scientist who you know helped create it and i hugged her and i was like uh you know, it, it wasn't, it didn't give what it was supposed to have given. Uh, so I think that the physical is uh, so important when it comes to mindfulness and meditation too. If you cannot sit cross-legged and meditate, that doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you right. a human with potentially difficult discs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your hips just are locked up. That's it. <laughs> that's all. That's all. You're, you know, so don't, don't let it stop you though. You know, lay exactly. on your back, yeah. do whatever you can. Now, if people wanted to physically see you speak, you've got a conference coming up here. Uh, what's uh, what is the conference and uh, what are you most excited about with it? So two, uh, one I mentioned a moment ago is Sherm. Um, I think I'll speak really quickly on Sherm. I'm liking that organizations are taking a more attention to the mental well-being of their people yes. because people are struggling and these organizations are squeezing them, you know, having them work ungodly amounts of hours. We've got to change that because yes. we have to start to, uh, you know, think about the future, think about what's going to happen to that, you know, those people's children anyway. We, so that's one side. So sure. I'm looking forward to Sherm going to their vision, visionaries conference. And the next is uh compassion 2.0. So compassion 2.0, uh, I'll be uh, on the main stage there. And what I'm excited about this is, you know, we talked about compassion as the action. So we're going to have leaders, you know, leaders, investors, the whole gamut of usual, uh, you know, events like right. this. The interesting piece about Compassion 2.0 is, again, we're talking about operationalizing compassion in organizations because they reach the most the most people. And my hope is, um, on my journey at least, that as we as I continue to speak more about organizations focusing on the mental well-being of their people, that people will then, you know, take that and talk about the mental well-being of their family the mental well-being of their community, their street, right. their city, their state, and starting uh, 
in in those spaces because we're going to have more stresses coming down the line. Uh, and I don't mean to yes. be the you know yeah. bearer of bad news, but natural disasters, all this stuff is going to continue. You know, uh, allegedly there's aliens, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but, you know, there's so many things coming down if we are not prepared for it and mixing that with the technology that is altering us. And I would even contend, I don't have the research to support this, but anecdotally, I believe altering us and our DNA and our DNA expressions yes. uh, based on the technology that we're uh, that we're connecting with. So I'm hoping that as I continue to you know speak across uh, across the states that people glean what from it they find useful, what they don't find useful, discard, what they find um, you know difficult. I hope they challenge it and find their own path. And I hope people you know start to pick up a little bit more of that critical thinking. Nice. Now, if they wanted to find more information about yourself, uh, how would they do it? Uh, how do they find you? Okay, so as I mentioned on the top, uh, not a lot of socials. The only social I have uh, is uh, LinkedIn. You can find me at uh, uh, Dave Hester Jr. Uh, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also find me if you look on our Life Guides uh, YouTube page. We do events, uh, monthly events, just specifically focused on well-being. So you can go to our YouTube page at lifeguides.com. Um, you can also find me on my page uh musing you m-u-s-i-n-g the letter u and yeah you know i'm nothing but a but an email away i i typically put out my email in you know situations like this because i'm not on social and people are like hey i couldn't find your your ig so how do i get in touch with you so it's as easy as dave at life guides that's my email nice. uh i i love to meet new people because i'm a lifelong learner and I know I don't know everything, and that actually puts me at ease. So I need to learn from others. I need to learn from you. So if you're interested, reach out. Nice. I love it. Reach out to Dave. And if you can, make it to one of the conferences and check out Life Guides as well. And for everyone listening in, stay tuned to the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.